Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your dreams. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special brain hacking edition, we explore how behaviorism and neurology are being used to change your behavior to maximize the profit that can be made from your attention. Brain hacking, brainwashing, emotional manipulation technology. These are terms of warfare, used against prisoners in re-education camps, used by an enemy state to win a war against the hearts and minds of the citizens of the nations they wish to subdue. But why bother psychologically manipulating people with propaganda and marketing when you can now use neurological science to push people's buttons to make them behave as you wish. Meet the Mind Mercenaries, Dopamine Labs. For a reasonable fee, Dopamine Labs in Los Angeles will change the behavior of your customers so that they use your product compulsively, even when they don't want to. Mind control? It's just business! Dopamine labs say it's all ethical because behavior modification can be used to make you spend longer on self-improvement apps. There's a t-shirt with diagrams of the dopamine and serotonin molecules that reads, these are literally the only two things you enjoy. Dopamine works as a neurotransmitter in your brain that's activated whenever you achieve something rewarding. It makes you feel pleasure and motivated to repeat the behaviour that caused the dopamine release. It's the basis of learning. Mess with that, and you're messing with people's ability to learn. As a motivator signalling chemical, dopamine overwhelms the serotonin signal that lets you feel happy and contented. Mess with that, and the consequences will be anything but pleasant. Neuroeconomists have learned to hack the dopamine reward system in your brain. Those people walking around staring at their phone like zombies? They're in a dopamine trance. To get their initial data, Dopamine Labs enrolled people in an addiction experiment overseen by an artificial intelligence program called Skinner. The program is named after B.F. Skinner, the 20th century behaviourist who invented operant conditioning and behavioural analysis. The classic operant conditioning Skinner box has a rat in the cage with a lever that the rat can press to release a reward of food pellets. B.F. Skinner discovered that if the rat got the same reward each time, it pulled the lever only when it was hungry. The way to maximise the number of times the rat pulled the lever was to vary the rewards it received. If the rat didn't know whether it was going to get one pellet, or none, or several when it pulled the lever, then it pulled the lever over and over again. It became psychologically addicted. This became known as the principle of variable rewards. The gambling industry is a pioneer 
of behaviour design. Slot machines in particular are built to exploit the compelling power of variable rewards. Gamblers pull the lever without knowing what they will get or whether they'll win anything at all. And that makes them want to pull it again. Facebook, Pinterest and others tap into basic human needs for connection, approval and affirmation and dispense the rewards on a variable schedule. Every time we open Instagram or Snapchat or Tinder or Facebook, we never know if someone will have liked our photo or left a comment or written a funny status update or dropped us a message. So we keep tapping the red dot, swiping left and scrolling down. Unconscious impulses are transformed into social obligations, which compel attention, which is sold for cash. I guess calling the artificial intelligence software Pavlov would have been too obvious. So, Skinner it is. Skinner's variable reinforcement or variable rewards involve three steps. A trigger, an action, and a reward. A push notification, such as a message that someone's commented on your Facebook photo, is a trigger. Opening the app is the action. And the reward could be a like or a share of a message you posted. These rewards trigger the release of dopamine in the brain, making the user feel pleasure, possibly even euphoria. Just by controlling when and how often you give people that little burst of dopamine, you can get them to go from using the app a couple of times a week to making it dozens of times a week. The rewards aren't predictable. We don't always get a like, a retweet, or a share every time we check our phones, and that is what makes it compulsive. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Here's Dopamine Lab's own introduction on YouTube. Hi, I'm Dalton. I'm one of the founders at Dopamine, and I'm going to show you an example of brain hacking using the Dopamine API. As developers, our apps live or die by user retention. Even with the best developers and the most thoughtful designers, retention appears to be fickle and up to luck. This leaves an uncomfortable amount of success to chance. And the problem is only getting worse with the proliferation of apps and further fracturing of user attention. So how can an app cut through that noise and get their users to stick? Getting a user to stick isn't just a data or a design problem. It's a brain problem. And if we know anything about brains, which we do, we know that variable reinforcement is the glue that gets us to stick to a new behavior. If you reinforce someone at the perfect moment, they'll do that reinforced action much more and for much longer. This principle has been known in academia for a while now, and some bright authors are spreading the good news in papers and workshops. So we're not the first to get it, we're just the first to use neuroscience and code to rigorize, optimize, and scale it. As an example of how to use dopamine, let's take a look at this to-do list app. How might we use reinforcement to make this app stickier and make users more productive? The key action in this app is completing items off our to-do list. So let's use dopamine to make that into a habit. This is a code snippet we got from the dopamine dashboard. It calls the dopamine API to ask if the user should be reinforced for clearing an item from their checklist. 
The API uses a model of the user's brain and behavior to decide if they should be reinforced right now or whether it'd be better to wait. Let's paste that into our app's code so that it will run when we detect that the user swiped an item from the list. So, we've picked an action to turn into a habit, and we also have a way to reinforce users. In this example, we'll use one of the out-of-the-box reinforcements that ships with the SDK. We could use anything our app does, so long as it's surprising or delightful. Some of the apps we worked with have used encouraging praise, others use funny GIFs, bonus points, or emoji. Anything, really. The reinforcement doesn't need to be fancy, it just needs to be positive and make the user smile when they see it. To keep this demo short, we're just going to use one of the out-of-the-box stock reinforcements. So now let's run our app. When I clear an item from my list, the app calls the dopamine API, and most of the time, nothing special happens. The item just goes away. But sometimes, when the API knows I need it, I get a reinforcement, a little burst of dopamine. It seems innocuous, right? But even just one week of reinforcement will cause users to stay longer and complete more tasks in their to-do list. Dopamine works with any type of app. Installing it is quick, and our walkthrough even includes out-of-the-box reinforcements like the ones you saw here. So try it out and let us know how we can improve it. Thanks. If you praise someone for doing something, they're more likely to do it again in the future. They've begun to form a habit. But if you praise them every time, it becomes background noise, and the habit will go away. So the question for Dopamine Labs to look at is when and how should I praise my users to form the habit as fast as possible? Dopamine Labs Skinner software monitors different prompts it makes to the customers on apps that use Dopamine Labs code. Skinner's all about learning what works for improving usage on an app or getting returning customers, and it optimizes these notifications as customers continue to use the app. Skinner updates its probability scenarios, or beliefs, about how likely it is that its past decisions have caused today's behavior, and then tweaks a parameter to see what you do next. At the 30-day mark, when experiments on all of their users turn over, Skinner determines what appeared to matter and what could be changed to improve. The software is learning what keeps you using apps for longer and what motivates you to come back. The result is that using Dopamine Labs code means an app can increase usage across the board, not just sales. Dopamine Labs promise to improve your profits by up to 30%. Their slogan is, installation can take as little as 15 minutes. Behaviour change can be seen as quickly as 15 days. Dopamine's neuroeconomist co-founder used the system to get himself to floss more regularly. And he got his co-founder to stop smoking. Dopamine Labs works out if Skinner is doing well by measuring things like, when presented with the opportunity to perform an action, how often do users complete that action, and how fast. If users start doing an action more often or quicker, then they know that the behavior is becoming more predictable. More predictable means more controlled. Another thing Dopamine Labs measure is, if they stop rewarding a behavior or reward it suboptimally, how fast does the behavior fade? And users will resent an app if they feel like it's running their life. So they aim for consistent but not blatantly compulsive use. So questions like, 
does the behaviour happen at a consistent time of the day or the week are also things that Dopamine Labs need to look at. Every time a new company signs up to Dopamine Labs, they set up a randomised control trial to show how much Dopamine's addiction code is helping the new company's apps. Dopamine Labs measure their intervention as three to six times more effective than reinforcing on a random schedule or anything a customer could achieve on their own. To give control back to the app users, Dopamine Labs has released an app called Space. The Space app puts a delay between when you see a notification and when you're able to click on the app to open it. So if you see an Instagram notification of a comment, you'll have to wait before you can click to see it. This wait will help you break the reward pathway by delaying gratification. What does getting you addicted to switching between different media do to you? A recent Stanford University study found that chronic media multitaskers gained wider attention at the cost of having less working memory to think with, and less long-term memory recall of both recent and long-ago events and information. The study was titled Media Multitasking and Memory – Differences in Working Memory and Long-Term Memory. Endocrinologist Robert Lustig says the other problem with pulling people into a prolonged trance of dopamine hits is that while in the short term dopamine makes you feel pleasurably rewarded, the long-term effect is to make you unhappy and depressed because it overwhelms the happiness and contentment you would normally feel from the neurotransmitter serotonin. Dopamine pleasure overwhelms serotonin contentment, which could make you unhappy and depressed when the dopamine hits are unnaturally prolonged. When you change your behaviour, you change your brain. A classic 1950s science fiction novel called The Space Merchants by Cyril Kornbluth and Frederick Pohl painted a future run by advertising companies. In this future, marketers use advertising that hacks your brain and makes you go buy a chemically addictive product. Marketing makes sure only the candidates that the advertising agencies support can ever get elected. The hero is a privileged advertising executive who gets hit with a brain-hacking advertisement from an opposing company while travelling to work. As a result, he gets addicted to a system of products that are marketed by the opposition, so he loses his job. He finds that the harmless addictive alkaloids in the chips make you crave the drink that makes you crave the chocolate bar that makes you crave the chips. He finds out what life is really like under the advertising corporations for the common people. The novel is dated, but I highly recommend it. Variable rewards can make you use products more often and for longer by activating the dopamine reward pathways in your brain. Research suggests that this extended haze of dopamine hits can diminish your ability to think and act, and also your ability to remember and recall. Facebook famously experimented on users without their consent to see if they could control their emotions. In particular, to make users depressed by changing what they showed them in their timeline. Facebook found that they could control people's emotions. The paper, Experimental Evidence of Massive Scale Emotional Contagion Through Social Networks, was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. These days, Facebook is being accused of meddling in elections around the world. 
Robert Mercer's Cambridge Analytica is a company that specialises in using artificial intelligence to manipulate people to alter elections. But that is another story. Next, on to my favourite addictive product, chocolate. Galit Segev is a chef and biochemist, combining her love of food and science in public talks on the science of food. Galit is a volunteer for Vision Australia, creating recipes and cooking classes for people with vision impairment. At the Ultimo Science Festival in 2011, she spoke to me about her love of food, her love of chocolate, and how chocolate is made, and the science of tempering chocolate. Oh, I love chocolate. What I love about chocolate is the, the complexity. I love the fact that it is quite uh, challenging to work with. If you're tempering your chocolate, you just need to know what you do because otherwise it doesn't really work for you. I like to try different combinations of flavors with the chocolate. And I really enjoy doing recipe development for different uh, chocolate. So, yeah, I really, really enjoy it. And I, I love to know why. I like to understand the science behind it because I believe that when you understand things, you have better results you can create. You have the freedom to create when you understand things. If we were to look for some of your recipes, where would we look? I'm very lazy, so <laughs> I put just one recipe on my website. But I do cooking classes in um, the essential ingredient and I do cooking classes in people, like a one-on-one or small groups in people's places if they are interested. And yes, this is definitely something that is, my, that is on my to-do list to add more recipes into my website. But so far I have really nice recipe of uh, earthquake cookies, which are really fun to make because you make the cookies and you roll them, it's a chocolate cookies, and you roll them in icing sugar. And when you bake them, they just crack. So you have this white icing sugar crusty coat, but it's with veins or like an earthquake uh, dark chocolate uh, veins in them. So they're quite uh, dramatic look and really nice to see them uh, baking in the oven. I love that. That sounds terrific. So tell me, how is chocolate made? Chocolate is uh, a bit similar to wine. So you start with harvesting the cacao pods and you scoop out the cacao seeds that are white at this stage, coated by this white pulp and you need to ferment the cacao seeds to develop the chocolate flavor. And after you ferment your cacao seeds, you need to dry them and then to roast them and shell them to remove the shell. They look at this, at this stage like almonds. And then the center of the cacao beans, of the cocoa beans, is crushed and you have your cocoa nibs. And when the cocoa nibs ground, you get what we call cocoa mass. And from the cocoa mass, you make chocolate. Or being more accurate, you make the dark chocolate and milk chocolate from cocoa mass. When you make your white chocolate, you're actually using just the cocoa butter. You don't use any of the cocoa powder component of your cocoa mass. So basically if you take your cocoa mass and you press it, you will end up with two products. The cocoa butter and the cocoa powder. And cocoa butter will be around 54% and the cocoa powder will be the rest. So uh, when we have our chocolate, obviously we have lots of sugar. 
So in a milk chocolate bar that is 200 grams, you will have around 22 teaspoons of sugar, which is quite amazing. When you have the darker chocolate, the highest cocoa solids you have in your chocolate, the less sugar you have and the more intense chocolate flavor that you will end up with. So if you have chocolate that is 85% cocoa solids, the flavor will be really intense and bitter and very chocolatey in comparison to white chocolate or milk chocolate or even if you compare that to a lower percentage uh, of cocoa solids in a dark chocolate like 50% or 54%. And white chocolate, how is that different? White chocolate is different because uh, it doesn't have both of the component or it doesn't have both of the components of the cocoa mass it has just the cocoa butter so basically you don't have what we um, identified as chocolate flavor it is very sweet it's very creamy but we don't have the chocolate flavor that comes from the cocoa powder um, component of your cacao beans tell me a bit about tempering all right, tempering is a big uh, subject and maybe it's a one hour talk of itself, but basically, I'm just going to keep it very basic, but tempering is a process that we use to end up with a certain type of crystal in our cocoa butter. It, we are after crystal number five and six. And by having a different regimes of heating your chocolate cooling that and reheating you ending up with this desirable crystal and the characteristic of this desirable crystal is that you will have chocolate that have gloss and have snap so if you have the cocoa butter solidified or crystallized in the desirable way you will have high quality chocolate because you will have the gloss you will have the snap you'll have the nice texture that uh, we are after. So I hope that I answered your question. Yes, and the melting point of chocolate is very precise, isn't it? When you temper your chocolate, you need to use a very precise regime of uh, heating, cooling and heating. And I won't get into those temperatures because they are different for, if you want to temper dark chocolate, you will have a different, you'll use different temperatures than you would use in white and milk chocolate. So this is, uh, not that this is hard to do, but you just need to have a bit of, uh, you need to give it a try and, 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 and see how it works for you. But you need to be quite accurate in terms of the temperature, because if you don't temper your chocolate properly, you will end up with maybe chocolate that will be a bit sticky, uh, maybe chocolate that will have a white powdery appearance, you might end up with chocolate that would be very crumbly rather than really nice uh, tight uh, texture that will give you the snap that we're after and the gloss. So it's, it's sort of like in material science if you're tempering steel or, or other things you have to get if you get the right temperatures you get the right crystals and if you don't have the right crystals you don't have the, the right same product. type of material or the same qualities. Exactly. I think this is exactly the same. This is, this is a really good uh, comparison. Mm. Yeah. And chocolate is fermented, isn't it? Yes, chocolate is quite similar to wine. You need to ferment the cacao seeds to develop the chocolate flavor. So if, let's say, that you are 
harvesting your cacao pods and you open them and you have those cacao seeds that have around them this white luscious pulp if you eat them at that stage they don't taste like chocolate they're a bit tart and sweet but they don't taste like chocolate so to develop the chocolate flavor you must ferment your cacao seeds that's one of the process that will develop the chocolate flavor the next one will be the drying and the roasting of the of the cacao beans so quite similar to wine and chocolate that comes from different regions around the world will have different profile characteristics so quite similar to wine I would say yeah so do you need to educate your chocolate palate the way you would a wine palate yeah I would say so yeah and the thing that the more you try different type of chocolates the more you get familiar with the flavors and yeah I think this is quite uh, quite similar yeah uh, the cacao trees are very picky and are quite uh, precious and they just grow 20 degrees north and south to the equator so they're quite uh, fussy plants so you could grow them in Australia but they didn't get very good quality yes they did a study in Australia when they tried to grow cacao cacao trees and they managed to get fruits and managed to get cacao beans but they didn't think that it's going to be commercially viable so they didn't get the yield that they were after and maybe just to, high, to say that, I find it quite fascinating that from one cacao pod you get between 20 to 50 cacao seeds. So it's just a handful, hands full of uh, cocoa beans in the end of the day. So it's really low yield. So that's very precious yes. gold, isn't it? Galit Segev, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the time. That was Galit Segev, chef and scientist, speaking about the secrets of chocolate at the Ultimo Science Festival in 2011, where she had chocolate from different places for people to try and white chocolate ganache made from white chocolate, lime juice and basil. You can find Galit's website at www.galit.com.au And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Record a voice memo on your phone or use the voicemail tab on the website. We need people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio and support the show so that I can make more episodes. Sound check and fact checks by Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network, including 2RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, and 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. 
If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.